bandwidth for changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at fastly.com. Je suis Bertrand Leroy et vous écoutez le changelog. Welcome back, everyone. This is The Changelog, and I'm your host, Adam Stukoviak. This is episode 224, and today, Jared and I talked to Bertrand Leroy about .NET Core. Bertrand has a deep history in Microsoft technologies, and he schools us on all things about .NET Core, where it's gone, the open source around it, Microsoft's take on it, and also Bertrand hosts a live YouTube podcast called On.NET, and he also curates a weekly email called This Week in .NET. Our sponsors today are Code School and TopTal. Our first sponsor of the show is our friends at Code School. And if you want to learn something new, a proven method is to learn by doing. And that's exactly the way Code School works. You learn to program by doing with hands-on courses. Code School's courses are organized into paths based on technologies like HTML and CSS, JavaScript, hot topics like React and Angular, Ruby, Python, .NET, iOS, Git, databases, and even electives that take you off the beaten path. Let's say you want to learn React. You can start level one of Code School's React course, which begins with a quick video lesson on React components. After the video, you get hands-on practice building with components using in-browser coding challenges. There's no hassle, no setup, just learning. And the best part is when you use our special URL, codeschool.com changelog, you save an extra $10 per month Instead of paying 29 bucks, you pay $19 because you're a listener of this show. Again, use our special URL, codeschool.com slash changelog. Don't Google it. That's the only way to get our special deal. Once again, codeschool.com slash changelog. And now onto the show. All right, we're back for the show. Got... Bertrand Leroy, and obviously I'm going to say that not exactly right because he's French. And uh, Jared, this is a show kind of covering .NET, Microsoft, .NET Core, mm-hmm. but it's been a while, right? Yeah, a couple of years, episode 134 was when uh, .NET Core just first kind of peeked his head out from the walls of Redmond. And uh, it's been a while. We have lots of listeners and fans saying, hey, more on Microsoft, more on .NET. And we're fans too. Frankly, there's a lot more to cover now because Microsoft's just continuing to open source more and more things. We should give a shout out to Brett Morrison, who's uh, friends with Bertrand and, and fan as well. And uh, he suggested to have him on and talk about .NET Core running on all three major platforms and all of the new stuff. So thanks, Brett, for uh, suggesting this show. And thanks, Bertrand, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, we got to start off with the right way here, because I know I butchered your name. What's the best way to say your name? Like, give the listeners the French version. The French version? Bertrand Leroy. Okay. But, you know, the R's are very difficult. But you're used to common English, yeah, non-French ways of saying it, right? Yeah, usually when I introduce myself, I don't even bother to try to give the French pronunciation. I just say Bertrand Leroy, and that's fine. Okay. And so some of your history stems back, obviously, to, to Microsoft. You've worked there for, for many years. Kind of give us some of the lay of the land of kind of what your experience is and what your affiliation is to .NET, Microsoft, and the work you've done there. Uh, yeah, so I started working with .NET a long time ago, back when the first version was in beta. Uh, so I was working in France at the time. I was working for a small web company, and I had built a CMS using .NET maybe the first CMS on .NET. Uh, And, um, you know, it was at the time, the .com uh, burst and all that. So I started wondering about what was next, and uh, I looked at Microsoft. I was living in France, so it was a big change for me. And uh, yeah, they actually hired me, to my great astonishment. And I started working on ASP.NET. And I've worked on ASP.NET 2, 3, 4. Uh, and then I left. I created a startup uh, with a friend. Uh, I did that for a few years. And I came back to Microsoft a little more than a year ago to work on .NET. So, yeah, all my career at Microsoft has been around .NET. And, mm. uh, I, I've seen a lot of change happening during that time. Why did you leave the first time? Was it because of you wanted to do a startup or were there other reasons? 
Uh, it was a combination of reasons. The first one was that, yeah, I wanted to, to do something different. So we created that uh, hardware startup, actually. It wasn't even software. Well, there were some software components, but yeah, we wanted to do some hardware. Uh, and another reason was that I, I, I was at the time a little frustrated with uh, the, the pace of innovation and uh, uh, that sort of thing. And I was at a point where I thought that uh, it was easier to innovate actually uh, outside. So That's interesting. I mean, especially with the recent change over the last three or four years we've seen is this resurgence from Microsoft to to embrace all platforms, to embrace open source and mm -hmm. even change, uh, as you had said there, the, the pace of their innovation. How do you feel about this, this new Microsoft we've been seeing? Well, obviously, uh, things have changed a lot and uh, I, I wouldn't have come back if, uh, if things hadn't changed in that direction. Um, well, we all remember the old Microsoft that was borderline hostile to, uh, to open source. Uh, and that that wasn't a place where I wanted to stay at the time. Mm. Uh, well, they say if you can't, uh, if they don't have change, then you could be the change. So you, are you a part of that change then? Well, yeah, actually, that's, that, that was the idea. That, that's kind of what I tried to, to do at my own small level uh, at the time. And uh, that that was kind of frustrating, and we we did have some some success. Uh, so I was one of the people who started the Orchard project, which is a CMS uh, on .NET that's open source, and uh, that was one of the first major open source projects uh, coming from Microsoft. I'm I'm very proud of that. So that that I put in the category of success, but. Mm. It was it was slow, slow, slow. But now, uh, open source is the norm, and uh, uh, when you do something new, you basically have to justify why it's not open source rather than why it is. Speaking of open source and Microsoft too, we had in a, in a recent Changelog Weekly a link to Frances Campoy, who works at Google on the Google Cloud platform, mm -hmm. and his post on Medium was: "Is Microsoft the biggest?" open source software contributor with mm. a question mark, of course, because that's a big question. Uh, you mentioned he's a Google employee, obviously on the uh, fan of open source and kind of give some of this rundown. So a lot more has been happening at Microsoft around open source. Yeah. Yeah. So I saw that and, you know, it's a question that's actually very difficult to answer because how do you measure that? Uh, and, uh, yeah, I've seen the numbers and, you know, you can always argue that, uh, I, I believe in those numbers, Google and Angular were separated, something like that. So you, you always have some caveats, you know, statistics, damn lies and so on. Uh, but yeah, uh, the fact remains that today Microsoft is one of the uh, most important contributors to open source and not just, not just you know, projects that were initiated by, by Microsoft. Uh, I think it's, uh, it, it's interesting to see how uh, teams such as my own are actually contributing to other open source projects. Back on uh, episode 134, when we had on, it was Rich Lander, Emo Landworth, and Varun Gupta. And we asked them, this was a long time ago, but I recall asking them, like, what was the onus or what was the, the shift inside of Microsoft that that changed the mind of the company and I believe that to generalize their response is that very much there was many people that wanted it uh, to wanted to embrace open source kind of in the small inside their teams or personally but the change in leadership that happened a few years back uh, really enabled it to, to to for the entire company to do so does that reflect with your experience oh yeah totally totally uh, and under that leadership, uh, it's been a it, it's been a slow process that has actually begun before uh, Satya became the CEO. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, it, it depended where you were looking at. I mean, if you look at the Windows division, uh, maybe that you know that's uh, the place where where uh, that that wouldn't be the place where it began. Uh, but uh, the developer division, for example, has been doing open source for a very long time and has been pushing for change. Um, so you might know the name of Scott Guthrie, who is, the, the, who is our VP. And uh, he's been 
a major uh, advocate for open source for a very long time. Seems like your guys' shift from you know, a company that largely sells software licenses uh, for its income to one that you know, also provides services and more and more so shifting revenue to services, it seems like that shift in business strategy allows for open source because you're not giving away the software licensing, right? You're, you're still providing the services or the hosting. And so, and it seems like Satya Nadella has, you know, was maybe that, that was starting to change already when Balmer was still there, but it seems like the last few years after Satya took over is when Microsoft has become a services company. Is that fair to say? Yeah, but again, Microsoft is a super big company and yeah. uh, there are parts of it that, that did adopt that new model and some that didn't and might actually not. Um, so yeah, it, it, you know, that's always the, the, the thing with open source. How do you, where is your business? Uh-huh. And, uh, if the software itself is your revenue, um, does it make sense to make it open source? Right. Now, if you're starting to sell, um, cloud computing time, then that becomes something completely different and sure your SDK should be open source. Right. So one thing that you say on your website is that, and we've touched on this a little bit, but I, I'm curious exactly your role. So you said that you were an actor in the company's shift towards more open source. And you mentioned the, the, C, the CMS or the open source project. What was the name of that project that you... Orchard, O-R-C-H-A-R-D. Orchard, okay, very good. That's the, the American versus French. I, my ears can't pick up, up that word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Orchard CMS. It, 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 it's always been a problem for me to pronounce this word correctly ironically oh, yeah, for, well, for a second i thought you said art shop and i was like no i know i know i know i i just the same way you cannot pronounce bertrand i cannot pronounce it's been it's been a bane at least we can laugh at ourselves about it right, right. oh yeah <laughs> so was that that you're the when you say you were involved in the shift um was the open sourcing of that and the success of that something that helped or were you a vocal proponent for open sourcing inside the company as well? At the time, I was just a mere software developer. So not a lot of influence, not a lot of power, but, you know, I was doing my part. Uh, uh, I think the first thing I did uh, was to work with uh, Scott Guthrie on um, getting jQuery to ship with Visual Studio. Uh, That was something that was kind of a big deal because Visual Studio is not open source and shipping an open source project inside of that was kind of tricky from a legal standpoint, a licensing standpoint and all those things. So that's one of the first things that I, uh, that I worked on uh, concerning open source at Microsoft. And I was very happy to do that <laughs> because I, I was I was feeling that this was the beginning of something uh, profound that 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 could put potentially uh, change the way the company thinks about software in general. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that is what caused it. Obviously, sure. it was a very small thing, but it was it was a sign of of what was beginning to happen at the time. Yeah, and now here you all are, one of the top. Uh, organizations on GitHub in terms of activity or you know, what was the exact metrics, Adam, on that particular uh, I'm glad thing? you said that because like, we kind of left that conversation there. It was one thing that uh, Francesc ended that post with was really about what it means to be a contributor. And it wasn't a slight against Microsoft, but it was just saying it's more than just contributing. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the article kind of camped out on Microsoft being a biggest, the biggest contributor in terms of pull requests and uh, commits and things like that. But it, you know, he has this quote that says the biggest OSS contributor is people, not orgs with uh, an awesome little emoji in there. And it's just, it's more than just commits or more than just co-contributions. It's bigger than that. So that's kind of where he left that piece. Well, you know, if we spend all our time just trying to decide who's number one, right. you know, we, won't, we won't spend any time writing software and, and contributing. So I think the takeaway, though, for me is 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 not a negative one. It's it's a positive one. It's like, that's awesome. We need more of that. That's like it reminds me of the conversation we had about open source at Facebook. Like we need more companies like Microsoft, Facebook, open source, Apple uh, doing the things they do in the open and inviting 
um, developers into those ecosystems because it's only going to help them for one, but it's also just kind of uh, doing a lot more for open source. We invite that, like having that kind of, um, you know, I guess perspective to open source is, is a good thing for a company like that. Well, we're getting close to our first break. Before that, let's let's give your uh, YouTube show a plug here, Bertrand, on .NET. So as we opened, Adam and I have had many people say we don't cover Microsoft technologies enough. And, you know, we try to cover uh, all that we can. There's only, we only get one show a week and, and we're doing our best. We can probably do a little bit better. But if you're just dying for lots of .NET coverage in the, shorms, in the form of a podcast or video, uh, Bertrand's your man. He actually has a weekly chat with the .NET team and guests. Can you tell us about on.NET? Yeah. So one of the things that's really important for me is uh, recognition. Uh, recognition of contributions from everybody in the community. I, I think, well, it, it may sound like a, something very uh, obvious, but uh, community is one of the most important things for a software platform. And uh, I wanted to do something that would recognize uh, what, what people out there are, are doing around .NET uh, because that's what, what is making what .NET is today. So um, every week I'm interviewing somebody who can be someone from inside of Microsoft or outside of Microsoft. I'm trying to keep a balance of, of both. And, uh, you know, we chat about .NET and uh, we look at demos that they make uh, of wh what they are doing with .NET. Uh, and, yeah, we're trying to build something that is interesting to watch every week. Mm. And it's on, uh, what, uh, is it Cloud? What's the, uh, it's YouTube and then what else? There's two places. Cloud9. Cloud9. Yeah, so the, the name of the show is on .NET. Right. And uh, it's... Uh, it's a channel on YouTube, but it's it's also on uh, Channel Nine. Channel Nine. Channel Nine. Different. Channel Nine, not Cloud Nine. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Channel Nine being the the Microsoft, uh, much the central place uh, where you can find Microsoft videos. Right. Uh, and just looking at the first picture, it looks like uh, two people sitting in the same room. Is this like an in studio show, or are you over Skype? How does it work? Uh, it depends. Uh, so the last show was with uh, Sebastian Ross. We who is uh, one of the, the people who have been working on Orchard uh, with uh -huh. me. So that was kind of, uh, uh, he's here. So we did, we did it in studio, but uh, usually it's over Skype. Yeah. And I also write a weekly column on the .NET blog uh, uh, where I give a list of links. I give shout outs to some uh, open source projects and uh, stuff like that. Uh, kind of a community heartbeat as well. So I do both of those things to uh, really to recognize the contributions from the, the community to the ecosystem. Very cool. Well, we will have links to all those things in our show notes. Check the show notes if you're interested in on.net and other stuff that Bertrand is up to. But let's take our first break. On the other side, we'll get into the core of our conversation. Oh, that was, that was totally that was cheesy. <laughs> we'll talk about .NET Core. Uh, catch up after a couple of years of open sourcing 1.0 announced in June and all that that entails. So uh, we'll be right back. This message is for all those team leaders out there that are looking to easily add new developers and new designers to their team, easily scale up when you need to. You got a big push coming. You got a new area of the product you've got to go into. And you've got more need than you thought you could. You've got to go through all this hassle of putting a job out there and hiring people to find the right people. Well, that's a bunch of hard stuff that you don't need to even deal with. Call upon my friends at TopTal. That's T-O-P-T-A-L.com. The cool thing about TopTal is that you can hire the top 3% of freelance software developers and designers. And what that means is they've got a rigorous screening process to identify the best. So when you call upon them to help you place the right kind of people into your team, then you know you're calling upon the best people out there. Once again, go to TopTal.com. That's T-O-P-T-A-L.com. Or if you'd like a personal introduction, email me, Adam at ChangeLove.com. And now back to the show. All right, we are back with Bertrand Leroy talking about all things open source and Microsoft. 
We mentioned before the break that Bertrand was one of the actors in the company's shift towards more open source and obviously an advocate and proponent for open source software. He also has his name on 12 patents uh, for Microsoft that you probably did under their employ. Yeah. Uh, but you have, you have your own opinions on software patents, don't you? And we'd, we'd love to hear what you, what you think about patents in general and software patents in particular. Uh, yeah. So that, that's, that's definitely the point where I should say that uh, I'm just a guy working for Microsoft, not a Microsoft official mouthpiece or anything like that. And uh, so, yeah, opinions are my own, not necessarily uh, uh, the opinions of the company. Uh, my opinion on patents is that they have become uh, an obstacle to innovation, whereas uh, originally they, uh, my understanding is that they were supposed to be uh, driving innovation. They were uh -huh. supposed to be a way for, yeah, for companies to um, be able to uh, benefit from their inventions. Uh, but yeah, I think nowadays they have become something completely different. They have become some, some form of currency, maybe, uh, mostly. Even and, a trap uh, in some cases. Yes, yes. And uh, personally, I think that's very sad. Uh, when you see everything that's going on around uh, patent trolling, um, so I, I, I had a small business, uh, as I said earlier, and uh, I think nowadays for any small business, there is this threat, this permanent threat that you might be the target of some patent troll at some point. And yeah, that is... Uh, threatening the amount of innovation that a small company can can do. So yeah, I think patent reform is sorely needed. I couldn't I couldn't disagree at all with that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think that uh, you know we've had a couple of shows, Jared, in the past. I think uh, the one I'm thinking of is like zero dB uh, earlier this year, and they didn't have a great answer for that question either, which was around. Zero DB being open source in terms of a protocol, but then having a patent. I think they had to do it for, you know, money raising reasons. And I think even Sourcegraph had something in that conversation, if I recall correctly, from. And so there's there's places where you're almost forced into it as a business, but you're like, that's against my own personal beliefs. Yeah, and that that's a big problem when you want to uh, raise money for a startup. Uh, there are still many venture capitalists who will. Uh, they will ask you to have patents uh, because otherwise, and especially if you are if you're trying to have a, an open source startup, it can be challenging uh, because yeah, when they put money on the table, they want uh, they don't want to that that innovation to get copied. Yeah, they want to have some security in their yeah. choices, basically. Yeah, which turns into you know lack of freedom for the rest of the world. We asked that question simply because, you know, when we were researching this call, we, you know, we saw that you had 12 patents for Microsoft. We're kind of curious what your stance was on it, especially in light of you being an actor and the company shift towards more open source and the, you know, the beliefs you have, as you mentioned, you're not a mouthpiece for Microsoft, but your own opinions. And I thought it was a pretty interesting subject to talk, talk to you about, especially as we lead into you know, .NET Core uh, one owing recently here in June. Uh, at least the re release of that later in June's month there. And, and that conversation we also had back with Imo and, and Varun and, um, you know, what was that episode 134? So like, let's continue that piece there. Mm -hmm. .NET Core now is, is open source. It has been for a bit. Now this, maybe give us the lay of the land. I know Jared and I in our pre-call, we were thinking like, there's so many pieces to .NET that uh, as an outsider, it's hard to kind of peek in and, and know for sure, unless you're actually inside and, you know, a .NET developer. Can you kind of give us a lay of the land of what .NET Core is, what other pieces to .NET there are, and the overall landscape of what this platform is? Yeah, so what, what you're saying is, is interesting because obviously we don't want it to be hard to understand for people who haven't been doing .NET before. So, yeah, that's kind of a bummer what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you have like ASP.NET, then you have .NET Core, yes. and then you've got all yes, these different absolutely. nuances. And, and yes. so from the outsider perspective, it's like, what is .NET? 
So yeah, so like with any uh, development technology, there are uh, several layers to it. Uh, there is the runtime, and then you have the base class library, and uh, then you have uh, technologies that are building uh, on top of that. Um, so historically, we used to have the .NET framework, which was Windows only. Uh, and then there is uh, Mono, which is an open source implementation of pretty much the same thing. Um, which, by the way, that is now Microsoft as well, because uh, well, we, we can probably talk about Xamarin at some point. I was going to say, does Mono still need to exist now that everything... That, that's a great question. Let's, uh, let's talk about that later. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah, please keep explaining. And now you, now you have .NET Core, which is a cross-platform implementation uh, of .NET, of the .NET uh, runtime, if you will. Uh, and then you have the base class library that we call the .NET standard, and that's evolving as well. Um, and then you have technologies such as ASP.NET, um, WPF, uh, stuff like that, that, that build on top of all that. And uh, some of those technologies are cross-platform, some are not. So ASP.NET is cross-platform. It works on .NET Core today. There is a version that works on .NET Core. Um, but yeah, all, all that can seem, I realize, a little bit complicated. But if you're new, .NET, well, if you're new to .NET, you haven't used it before, I think the, the easiest thing to do is to go to .NET, .NET, and get started with .NET Core because that's the simplest, um, simplest thing. You don't have to worry about .NET Framework, uh, all those things. Just do .NET Core and try it. And it's, you know, it's a refoundation of .NET in many ways. Uh, and it should be simpler to approach. It, uh, it doesn't require Visual Studio or anything like that. It's like any other uh, development platform. You can start with the command line and the text editor uh, and just run from there. It's definitely got a lot more approachable then. Yeah, it, well, yeah, we want it to be. We, it's more approachable, it's cross-platform. Uh, so yeah, it's not your old .NET. On that front, what's the, you know, what's the draw? Since you said uh, if you're a beginner, sending someone to dot, dot .NET, uh, so D-O-T dot N-E-T uh, no, on net, the web. Net, is that net dot .NET? Oh, I'm sorry. It's, it's uh, dot Dot net. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we we, we should talk about here. making things easy for folks. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Sorry, Jared, I had to laugh out loud on that one. That was was it net dot net or is it? No, uh, that's funny. So if you read it, it's dot net. Yes, gotcha. But you know, in light of that, you know, being approachable, you know, what is the draw to? You know, we're going to talk about dot net core being one here in a bit, but just on you know camp down on this thought here is like being approachable what is it uh, that draws people to .net like what is the draw for developers to to look at this platform uh, as something that they should look at as a developer what would attract people the community the the language the platform what that's a great question uh so traditionally we've been pushing the .net brand uh, and uh, to new developers it's not necessarily the way you want to approach things when you look at other platforms i mean you don't say uh, you, you talk about the language first you know uh, you develop in java you develop in python you develop in go right the only example i can think of that is that doesn't start from the language is node maybe uh, but Node is also pretty much tied to JavaScript, so yeah. or really, it's uh, it's it's not that different. And so .NET was a little different in that way. And uh, uh, I'm of the opinion, and there are a few on the team who agree with that, that uh, we should actually start with the language more. And uh, the thing is that we have more than one language. It's all like Java has Scala. We have uh, we have F Sharp as well. So we have C Sharp and F Sharp. And I think. Starting from the language is a really good way to talk to developers. Yeah, you start from the code, you show code. Mm -hmm. And uh, C-sharp and F-sharp are, in my opinion, wonderful languages uh, that have uh, led the way uh, in a lot of different interesting ways. Um, 
Async await, for example, uh, is a great feature that, that started on, on, on C sharp. Um, and it's continuing that way. Uh, if you look at the latest version of C sharp, you have, uh, uh, pattern matching, which is something that comes from functional languages. Uh, F-sharp is a really interesting language to look at. So yeah, I would, if I, if I were to talk to new developers, I would point them to one of the languages, uh, depending where they, they're coming from. Uh, for example, if you come from a Java background, I would, I would point you to, uh, to C-sharp. If you come more from, I don't know, Python or JavaScript, maybe F-sharp would be, would be a good fit. Is it fair to say that C-sharp is you know, Microsoft's object-oriented language and F-sharp is the functional language? If just generalized. Yeah, even though C-sharp does have some functional features mm -hmm. uh, and F-sharp does have some uh, object-oriented features. But yeah, it's, it's the general um, category that you could draw there. Yeah. What would be the best comparison, like for F sharp specifically, to another language? Like, if it was friends with one that looked very similar, would it be like, would it be like a an Erlang or a Closure, or would it be more like a JavaScript? Mm. Or is there even can anything compare? I'm sure people will scream, will scream at me no matter what I say here. <laughs> Let them scream. Uh, Let them, yeah, I'm teeing you up. This for is your opinion. Mad, teeing you up for mad tweets. <laughs> No, it's not very JavaScripty. It's more, uh, yeah. It's not lispy. Uh, I, I think they, the 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 F sharp folks, the people from the F sharp team, uh, talk about a multi-paradigm functional language or something like that, which is maybe a little too uh, uh, buzzwordy, but. Uh, Pretty accurate, nonetheless. I mean, it, it is multi-paradigm. You can do many different things with it. It's not limited to one specific domain, mm -hmm. uh, but it is essentially functional in, in orientation. So in terms of people that are using .NET, probably we could say the majority are on, are on C-sharp, and then you have some using F-sharp, and then you still have some other languages, like doesn't VB run on .NET still, and isn't mm -hmm. there some more legacy oh, languages? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and actually, I'm I'm going. I know that I'm going to uh, to have the VB folks scream at me for not mentioning VB. Of course, yes. <laughs> is VB still actively like maintained oh, yeah. and and being uh, like absolutely. moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's interesting because uh, it's not that the C sharp features, for example, are getting literally uh, translated to VB. Uh, that kind of used to be the case in the beginning of VB.NET, but uh, now the, the new features tend to be a lot more idiomatic. So there are really two languages that have uh, different strengths, and uh, uh, it's interesting to see how they evolve in parallel, but uh, separately. So why why run in parallel? I, I know VB came first, and so you have you have existing systems and existing software. Um, but C sharp has been your guys's main language or the, you know, the head honcho language for a long time now. Uh, what's the desire to not just deprecate VB and say, everybody move over to C sharp? Is there's too many lines of code in the world? Uh, I, I don't think that's the, that's the problem. It, it, I, I really think it's about curly braces. Seriously. Did you say curly braces? Uh, he said curly yeah. braces. It's seriously yeah. about curly braces? Now things just got interesting. Yeah. Not everybody likes curly braces. <laughs> seriously. I love that answer. I think you're probably right. It's probably as simple as that. Yeah. So have two so just these two languages you're in you know, Microsoft's investing and the communities are investing, you know. Yeah, and that. there are thousands, if not millions of dollars into these annually. And it's because some people like curly braces and some people don't. <laughs> there are some really hardcore Visual Basic fans. And uh, you won't convince them that C Sharp is better. Huh. That's a great answer. I love that's that. That's the way it is. And that's fine. Shall we talk about tabs versus spaces now? <laughs> <laughs> that's been decided also by BigQuery. Right. Spaces have won. Yes. Except for the people that love tabs. Well, at least based on the open source uh, available. It's based on open source code, not all of code everywhere. But, right. 
All right, so now we've we've gone there. We're not we're not going to talk about Vim versus uh, Visual Studio Code or or Emacs or anything. So before before we move on, can can I talk about something else that should be a big draw for uh, people to absolutely? Yep, there is performance too. Uh, .NET Core has amazing performance, and that's been a major focus uh, from the engineering team. Uh, they've spent a lot, a lot of time, and we've also had some really valuable contributions from uh, the community uh, on, on performance improvement. Um, and in particular, uh, .NET Core is going to be, or is already, on the Tech Empower uh, benchmarks, and it's in the top 10, I believe, something like that, oh. you know, uh, right alongside very, uh, very high performance uh, platforms. So, yeah, uh, it's faster than Node, it's faster than Go. Uh, I'll just mention one other, um, which I is not a technical advantage, but let's face it, it's a real advantage, especially if you have a young developer and she's wondering, should I learn .NET or should I learn java or uh, ruby or what have you is that there are many many large corporations that make a lot of money and they need net programmers and so you tend to have a pretty not i wouldn't say an easy time but you have lucrative job opportunities if you are well versed in these technologies and i think we'd be remiss not to mention that as a real draw to the platform yeah, and uh, I will mention another one, uh, since you mentioned uh, kids learning how to program. Um, video games is usually very popular with the young ones. And uh, there is a platform called Unity that you may have heard about. Yep. And Unity runs on .NET. So. Yeah, and uh, actually nowadays, most of the independent uh, gaming companies uh, are using Unity to build their games. Uh, most of the games you have on your cell phone have probably been built uh, on Unity. Hmm. That was a recent announcement, too, back at Build. They were talking about, uh, at least some fun in this headline, at least Unity joins the .NET Foundation. I'm guessing mm -hmm. there's more to that than, than just what they announced at Build before this, this year. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about .NET Core and what's new. So you had your 1.0 announcement uh, in June, and... When we first had uh, .NET on the show, it was like, you know, Microsoft's brand new open source baby, and it was just getting started, and there were things that were open source, there were things that weren't, and now it seems like it's fully matured, it's a 1.0. Can you give us kind of the what's changed between when the announcement first went out and then all the hard work that's happened over the last couple of years? You don't actually don't have to detail every particular thing, but like the highlights of what .NET Core 1.0 means and some of the, the major changes. Uh, oh boy. Um, well, lots and lots of work. Um, a, a difficult thing was deciding what would go into uh, version 1.0 and what wouldn't, and uh, the level of compatibility that it would have uh, with previous versions of, of .NET. And that's something that we are still... Uh, getting up to speed with, you know, bringing uh, community library developers on board with with .NET Core uh, because, you know, they need to... Um, it, it's a new platform in many ways, but, you know, the, the thing is that the, the API surface for the moment is, is uh, smaller than what uh, people were used to on .NET Framework, which means that some libraries have actually... Uh, had to uh, go undergo some uh, significant rewrites uh, to make it work. So this is changing. Uh, there will be uh, a new version soon that uh, will implement a lot more APIs. That's what we call Net Standard 2.0. Uh, that will have uh, an API surface that will be a lot closer to uh, the .NET framework that people know. Where was I going with that? Uh, yeah, what, what happened uh, with uh, .NET Core? So yeah, uh, the 1.0 version uh, means that the runtime is, uh, we consider it completely stable. You can, uh, you can build production uh, software on it. Uh, it's released under an MIT license, uh, which is very, very liberal. Uh -huh. pretty, mu pretty much anything uh, you want with it. Um, so yeah. 
new runtime, new base class library that is yeah, still being worked on very, very actively. Um, do you have any specifics that you'd like to ask? Well, I mean, I think a highlight of, and I don't know if it was like just added for 1.0, but it's something that has y'all been working real hard on is cross-platform. Yes. So I think probably we should, we should talk about uh, what went into that and then perhaps, you know, what that means for us Mac OS or Linux based developers. That's a great question because, yeah, as .NET started as a mostly a Windows technology, there are some APIs in the full .NET framework that, uh, that don't necessarily make a lot of sense uh, for a cross-platform implementation such as .NET Core. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, who cares about the registry on, on Linux? Well, uh, it, it doesn't even exist, right? So <laughs> there are a few concepts like that that, that right. just don't translate. So um, uh, we have to decide what we are doing with those. Uh, do we just do we keep the APIs in the APIs in there and make them throw when you're not uh, on on a support uh, on an OS that can support the capability? What do you exclude the API? Uh, it's it, it's really on a case by case basis, and there is a lot of work going into that. So Imo Landworth, who, whom you had on the show, uh, is the the person working on that. Yeah, and then there is uh, there is tooling because uh, uh, it used to be the case that .NET was strongly tied to Visual Studio, and of course Visual Studio is Windows only. So uh, to make the platform work on Linux and Mac, uh, we had to find other ways of tooling the platform. So. Uh, .NET Core shifts its focus from Visual Studio to the command line. So you can still use Visual Studio and there is still great uh, tool support on Visual Studio, but you can do everything from the command line and the text editor, which is what works on the Mac and on, on Linux. Well, it's interesting because, um, you know, I, I know on GoTime, Jared, it's been a lot of rave. I think... Um, it's been mentioned at least several times, Visual Studio being, you know, really interesting for Go and being cross-platform is, is unique. And then, you know, Bertrand, you saying cross-platform is the, is this, you know, this new thing coming, I guess, from .NET Core 1.0. But then also back in that conversation we had around you know, Ubuntu and uh, Bash going to Windows, all that good stuff. Like it seems like the the next level of things for us is really about at least in terms of .NET, is, is being cross-platform. You know, Linux, Mac OS, Windows, and then you mentioned the focus on command line, but then you still do have Visual Studio that's, that's cross-platform now, too. So you have that available to you, and it's just a, at least basically announcement. It's, it's, uh, isn't that a separate project, though? Like Visual Studio Code, correct us if we're wrong here, Bertrand, but isn't there, Visual Studio is kind of the, the old standard, which is the the Windows-specific one, but now you have Visual Studio Code, which is cross-platform, or do I misunderstand? Maybe I'm misunderstanding. Visual Studio is an IDE. It, it's a right. very advanced IDE. It has a lot and a lot of features, and it is Windows-only for the moment. And uh, Visual Studio Code, on the other hand, is closer to a text editor. It's more like a... Ah, uh, I see. That's all. And this one is cross-platform. Now you can see why we're so confused. That's the new hotness. Yeah, naming, <laughs> naming. Y'all got to work on your naming I, a little bit. They are, they are very, very different beasts. I mean, just right. for Visual Studio, uh, the, the download is a lot more substantial and it takes, uh, it, it takes more time to install it. Whereas uh, VS Code is uh, a few megs uh, in download mm -hmm. and it takes less than a minute to install. Gotcha. Uh, okay. So th they are very different. It, uh, but it may be a text editor, VS Code, but uh, it also has some uh, pretty advanced features in terms of debugging and uh, code completion and so on. So yeah, you, you're still in a very comfortable environment. I'm pretty sure our the GoTime community is excited about Visual Studio Code. Yes, because of the the Go extension is very very popular. Gotcha. Okay. Well, this is a good place to pause. This is a great conversation. We're gonna come right back to this. But let's pause here, and we'll be right back. 
every Saturday morning, we ship an email called Changelog Weekly. It's our editorialized take on what happened this week in open source and software development. It's not generated by a machine. There's no algorithms involved. It's me, it's Jared, hand curating this email, keeping up to date with the latest headlines, links, videos, projects, and repos. And to get this awesome email in your inbox every single week, head to changelog.com weekly and subscribe. We're back with Bertrand Leroy and we're talking about .NET Core and, and you know we laughed a lot in the break but we've all been kind of at least I say we all I mean me confused about some things in terms of naming I thought uh, Visual Studio turned into Visual Studio Code and was open source but that's not true um, and then talking about cross-platform we talked about the importance of what that means but you know what's the draw Bertrand for .NET Core to be on Mac OS or Linux well one of our goals was to enable people to write uh, microservice types of applications uh, um, and, you know, really server applications of all, all kinds. And today, the server is running Linux pretty much everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one reason why uh, Linux is so important. Uh, probably for any development platform, but especially for one that's uh, um, at this moment in time aiming at uh, at server workloads. Um, and the Mac, that's a, a different reason, which is that, well, when you go to any tech conference, you might notice that a lot of the laptops that people have are Macs, right? So... It's a fact of life that uh, a lot of developers are working on Mac today. So it's also important that they can uh, develop for our platform using the tools that they love and uh, not force them to run a VM, just run .NET. That wouldn't make a lot of sense. So for us, all three platforms are super important for different reasons. One thing, one phenomena that we watch happen a lot in open source, especially because so many developers are running Mac OS or Linux, is a lot of the uh, projects and platforms have poor Windows support. So uh, Ruby is is had this problem. Um, mm-hmm. I could probably go on, but I can't think of any other examples besides that one. But there are, uh, especially when when different. Uh, things that touch the file system, or you mentioned how, you know, the registry doesn't make sense on Linux. Well, uh, like user local doesn't make sense on Windows. And so you always have this kind of divide, even when, oh, Node's another good example. There's been a lot of issues with Node support on Windows, even though, um, or Windows support on Node, even though that was kind of one of the, the main draws to Node for many developers to get started. But we find that, like, there's like a second-class citizen of platforms and uh, in the open source world. It's been Windows in certain cases. Yeah. What What are the odds that like Mac OS specifically? Because I think Linux, because there's so many servers, like you said, and you probably have, you know, large corporations and customers that are running .NET on Linux servers. But what about? I could see where Mac OS could become like the second class citizen of .NET Core's open source cross platform. Um, is, is there a dedicated like people or team that are like? inside Microsoft running Mac OS and making sure that that doesn't happen or is that a, a real possibility? Uh, well, I, actually, a lot of people on the team are, are, are using Macs every day. It's, oh. uh, it's actually kind of encouraged. Um, when you buy a laptop, the first choice on our team, I'm, I'm not talking about Microsoft in general, but on our team, the, the default kind of is a Mac. Mm. Oh. Things have changed. Yeah, I would never get that. I, it wouldn't make any... I mean, I guess it's nice to see that, uh, you know, it's about you as a developer and, and not, you know, a, a forced hand, so to speak, of like, hey, you work at Microsoft, you use Windows only, and that's, uh, that's how it has to be. Oh, no, not at all. Uh, it, it really is uh, everybody's personal choice and uh, what, what really makes sense for the job you're, you're doing. And, uh, yeah... Uh, as you said, it's important that uh, we have people on the team who run on macOS so that, yeah, they can they can make sure all the time that it works. And of course, of course, we have some uh, we we have quite a lot of uh, tests, uh, automated tests running on on 
on Mac, but that's uh, that's obvious. Sure. Right. Well, we we talked about Mono in brief previously. This is was the open source version of the .NET runtime, and uh, very popular and uh, long running project, a necessary project when you know, everything was still proprietary. But as I as you mentioned before, and I kind of said, what does it mean for Mono? Is that now like the the main thing is open source and and uh, do we have to have mono or what does it mean for mono? And you said, let's talk about that later. So I'm just bringing it back up because I'm still curious what mono's future is, if any. The different flavors of .NET that exist today, uh, the main ones would be .NET Framework, .NET Core, and mono. They are all being used uh, on different workloads that are all important. Um, Mono in particular is what drives Unity. But we, we've talked about Unity a little bit. Uh, it's what, what, what is behind uh, Xamarin. So that means that if you want to run a .NET application on iOS or Android, chances are you are running it on Mono. Well, it's, it's almost a certainty. So, yeah. Um, I, I don't see them going anywhere uh, nefarious um, in the near future at least. Is it safe to say that Mono may have been um, early traction or early indicators that uh, taking something for or around .NET open source could be a positive thing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a, a huge uh, driver for change, sure. So I think Jared's question was kind of like what happens to it? So does Mono go away or does it get folded into .NET Core? Now that it's open source and now that more and more is, is happening around this cross-platform piece, what happens? So there are definitely things that are going to happen in terms of uh, what uh, implementation of the base class library uh, each is using. And there is some convergence that, uh, that's going on so that we actually don't maintain uh, three different code bases. There is a lot that is being put in common, obviously. Um, but, uh, you, you still have the runtime itself and we have great implementations of .NET running on iOS and Android. And I'm not sure why exactly we would necessarily, uh, converge those on, on .NET Core, but I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I really don't. Mm -hmm. It might happen at some point. I, you, you would have to ask the question to somebody else than me. And hmm. I don't okay. care. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's also a problem of where you put your focus and where you put your energies. And uh, we have many, many things to do. So mm -hmm. everything takes time. So we've covered cross-platform. We obviously understand how important that is because no longer are you tied to simply those who have Windows machines. You're able to attract Mac OS developers or anybody using a Macintosh computer. Um, you're also attracting those who are on Linux, uh, so that's a good thing. Your your uh, focus on the command line is this: is the command line to .NET Core is that new? Is that something that's never been there for uh, for .NET Core? Uh, you mean for .NET in general? .NET, I guess, yeah, .NET in general. Sorry. Um, yeah, so that 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 is new to .NET Core, yes, um, and uh, it it really comes from the fact that we need tooling on all the supported platforms. You need to be able to build everywhere. So. So typically, we talked before about my confusion around Visual Studio. So you've got the IDE, you've got code. Um, is it a change of heart? Is it a change of a retraining to people or to those developers that are developers to, to go from an IDE, a visual thing, to a command line? Uh, yeah, there is a fair bit of that going on. But uh, the fact is that a lot of people in the uh, existing .NET community were actually asking for that to happen. Really? Uh, they wanted to use the command line more uh, because that also means that things are easier to automate and uh, yeah. uh, that it's the general direction the industry as a whole is, is going. Um, when you look at, uh, I don't know, if you look at some of the IDEs that JetBrains are building, for example, um, uh, WebStorm, for example, when you use when you develop Node on WebStorm, what the IDE is doing is mostly driving the command line, right? Right. So yeah, I think it's a yeah, it's a it's something that had to happen, um, and uh, 
I think for new developers, it's actually a lot easier. But uh, as I said, the the ID is still there, and uh, there are still a lot of people. I don't know if it's something like curly braces, but there are still a lot of people who prefer to work uh, in an ID, and they can. Yeah, uh, we right. are giving them the, that that choice. Uh, everything is possible under both uh, environments. Um, but yeah, now if you want to uh, write C-sharp code, um, you can install it. Uh, and on the command line, you do .NET new and you're in business. It's kind of like your guys' decision to continue with VB and also develop C-sharp. You have those who want to stay with VB and you have those who want to do C-sharp. And in this case, you have those who will never leave their IDE. You can peel it from their cold, dead hands. And then you have those who want something lighter, some uh, more of a text editor, and perhaps you know want to run it on Linux. So I think choice is always good. I think I think you guys have some work to do with your branding and your like cohesive story. It's because it is a bit confusing, and um, I feel more. Of, I feel like we've gotten over some bumps in the road, Adam, and yeah, I'm understanding it more now. I wish that it wasn't you know quite this hard to you know peel back the layers of the onion or, or, or see the whole picture, but. Uh, no doubt you guys will probably get there. Let me ask you this. So Ubuntu support uh, now has Bash on Windows, right? We talked about that. And uh, what I want to know is what would happen if somebody ran .NET on Linux, on Bash, on Windows? <laughs> would the world implode or what's going to happen there? I don't know. That's an interesting question. You should try it. Maybe I will. Well, I'll get Dustin Kirkland to try it. Too funny. Yeah, sounds like a fun experiment. Some all right, listeners. Chal a challenge to the listeners. Somebody go out there, do that, report back, and we will uh link it up. Uh, open an issue, let us know what happens. Give us a a, a video gif or a full-on video, whatever works. Inception. <sighs> so to to wrap some things up here, if you're just getting started or if you're someone out there that wants to peek into this world going to .net, which is actually D-O-T dot N-E-T, uh, slash core would be going to the core page. That's what they recommend in this announcement for .net core 1.0 back yep. in June. So if that's where you're, where you're starting now, that's what I'm saying, at least from this, this article here. But Bertrand, from you, from, uh, from your perspective, uh, you know, if the li there's a listener out there who's been listening along, like thinking, you know, I'm interested in this. I want to get involved. I, you know, I don't see what Jared and Adam see. I don't see these layers to the onion. I get it. It's, it's easy for me. Or they're just simply interested. What are, what are some good resources, good people to follow, good places to kind of catch up? Obviously, you've got your show on .NET, but uh, who might someone follow? Where might someone go to get started or to at least open up this, this world for them? Um, I would definitely check out the, the C-sharp language tutorial or, or one of the F-sharp tutorials. Uh, one thing you, well, yeah, I, I was going to say one thing you can do is, uh, follow the, the weekend.net posts on the .net blog, but, uh, and look at all the, the articles that, that people are publishing, but maybe that's more for somebody who is already familiar with it. Um, the documentation site, uh, might be a good place to start, obviously. So um, .net, D-O-T dot N-E-T? Yeah. Uh, if you're curious about the language, you have some tutorials for that. If you're curious about the ecosystem and the kinds of libraries that you can find, uh, you can go um, to nuget.org, n-u-g-e-t.org. Uh, that's the package manager for .NET. How about some people? Like, who might someone like? Let's just oh yeah, absolutely. rattle off some Twitter right. followers. Yes. We can get some ad symbols or anybody on GitHub. Some follows there. Yeah, so obviously one very prominent figure in the .NET world is Miguel de Icaza. Uh, Matt Storgerson is interesting to follow. He's the PM for C-Sharp. Don Syme, if you're interested in F-Sharp, you should definitely follow him. Philip Carter also, who is the program manager for F-Sharp. Rachel Rees is interesting to follow. She's, um, she's working at Jet. So that's a company that uh, was bought by Walmart a few months ago for $3 billion, something like that. <laughs> so they know, they know what they are doing there, apparently. Uh, Nick Craver uh, is uh, awesome if you're interested in performance uh, on .NET. He's from Stack Overflow. 
Dustin Campbell works on uh, VS Code. Orwan Miller, uh, he's in charge of Entity Framework, which is the um, object relational mapper that uh, that you can use on .dot on .NET Core. Well, the good thing is they've got uh, no shortage of people, which is great. Oh yeah, well yeah, there's lots and lots of people. So here's what here's what we'll do then. All the people that you mentioned, we'll listen back to, but if you've got URLs or Twitter handles or something to share with us, we'll make sure we get those in the show notes. That way, any listeners that are, that are following along um, can, can go out and follow those people and kind of see what they're into. Or I'll come up with a, with a list of people, and uh, yeah, you can put that in the description. Yeah, this Bertrand recommends following these people, and we'll just put a list. How about that? Sure. So Bertrand, uh, just to close up the show here, is there anything else that... Uh, that we didn't cover that was like you, you wanted to make sure we got mentioned in the show. Yeah. So I briefly mentioned that, uh, the team is currently hard at work, making sure that the API surface for .NET Core becomes, um, a lot bigger than it is today. So next version of .NET Core, will have a lot more APIs to work with. So that's interesting. Another thing we are working on is converging our project system so that all the different flavors of .NET are talking the same language in terms of uh, building. Uh, but that's more like a technicality. Um, it's a lot of work for us, but uh, hopefully uh, lots of benefits for our, for our users in the end. Um, yeah, so we are, we are working on, on that and uh, it should... Uh, come out probably at pretty much the same time as the next version of Visual Studio. I wish I'd, I could give you a date for that, but I can't. Can I ask you one more personal question? Do you use Visual Studio or Visual Studio Code? Hmm. I use both. Ugh, dodging me. No, it really depends what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> so when do you use which one? Um... When I'm building something that is, well, yeah, basically when I'm on Windows, I mostly use Visual Studio, mostly. Uh, it depends. It, I, I don't really know why I use one or the other. I, it, it also a question of mood, maybe. I don't know. That's an mm. interesting question. I never actually thought about it. I just pick one uh, depending on what I'm doing. Uh, interesting. I couldn't do I that. Know. I would have to pick one. <laughs> How about you, Jerry? There can be only one, yeah. Well, I say that, but I use Vim That's and true. Sublime. Yeah. So, Oh, and by the way, you know that you can use, uh, you, you can use uh, .NET Code uh, on Vim and Sublime if you want. There is uh, uh, the service that powers the um, code completion on VS Code for .NET also works uh, for Vim and uh, Sublime and Emacs. That's cool. and so, yeah. That's you inception can right there. You can even have code completion on your favorite editor. Nice. Pleasant. 2016, man. It's great. Good year. It's a good year for .NET. So we mentioned earlier in the show uh, that article for Microsoft being the most or one of the biggest contributors to open source. Uh, we have a weekly email we ship called Changelaw Weekly. Bertrand, I'm not sure if you know about this email, but if you don't, you got to subscribe. You know, Go to changelaw.com slash weekly. We put a lot of love, a lot of love into that uh, that email every single week. Headlines, links, the latest that's happening in open source software development, our latest episodes, projects and repos. We also have an open inbox we like to call it on GitHub. You go to GitHub.com/slash/thechangelog/slash/ping. You can submit an issue there and share your latest open source there. We have a section in our email just for that called ping. That's pretty interesting. Excellent. Do you uh, subscribe to the email by any chance? Not yet, but I will. You will. Great. That's my goal, Jared. This One is our subscriber per show. That's how we do it. We just uh, we shame people into subscribing at the end of each show. That's, that's right. Thing. I like that. We're gonna start doing that. I like that. That's <laughs> lots of stuff right there. Yeah, and you go to m.net, download the bits, and tell me it. I'm I'm already I'm doing it. I'm cool. subscribed on YouTube now. I'm a subscriber. Excellent. That's the way you got to do it. I love the fact that the show is live. It's just kind of gives it that extra perspective that it doesn't need to be overly produced. Plus, you never know what's going to happen. That's right. I mean, with Bertrand, it's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, we we got in trouble a couple of times. 
Oh, how so? Oh, well, I'm not going to get in trouble this time, so I'm not telling you. You have to go watch it, Jerry. You have to go watch it. Yeah. We'll leave it there then. So, Bertrand, if there's nothing else you got to say, we're going to close this show out. Um, it was definitely a blast having you on, on the show. And I appreciate, you know, now my knowledge of, of .NET, only that, but also Visual Studio. I don't know how I gapped that, Jared. I feel like an idiot, but uh, I'll be an idiot on air, and that's just how it'll be. So, yep. But uh, that's it for this show. So let's, uh, let's say goodbye. Well, thanks for having me. It's been very fun. Thank you. Thanks, Bertrand. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.